0: Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Dear friends in Christ, fellow saints, wash clean in the blood of our risen Savior. What does a government do with rebels? When the 13 colonies rebelled against England, King George III sent soldiers, To put down the rebellion. When the southern states rebelled against the federal government. Abraham Lincoln sent in troops. To put down the Johnny Rebs. And when Adam and Eve rebelled against God. He sent his son. To die for them. How different. Our king is. And as we consider that this morning. Let's let's go back. To that tragic day, that day that fired the first shots in the rebellion against God. Go back to Genesis chapter 3. Now, first of all, remember what God had done for Adam and Eve. Remember the rich blessings He had showered on them. He had blessed them by creating them in His image so that their hearts and minds were in perfect sync with His will. He blessed them by giving them dominion over His wonderful creation. His lavish love had brought them together as husband and wife. He had provided them the Garden of Eden and He had given them the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And with that second tree, they could worship and honor and praise their God by obeying his command not to eat from it. How richly and generously the Lord's love had blessed them. But Satan deceived Eve, and she and Adam rebelled against God's love. They ate from that tree. Believing Satan's lie and doubting God's truth. They became rebels. And that's the heritage that was passed down to you and me from them. We began life as rebels, fighting against God. We confess with King David, surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me, Psalm 51. For you see, flesh gives birth to flesh, as Jesus explained to Nicodemus. Every inclination of the thoughts of our hearts were only evil all the time. For you see, the sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, and it cannot do so. Romans 8, yes, like Adam and Eve, we too were rebels. Now what did God do with rebels? Did he send his angel armies, their hosts, to destroy Adam and Eve as the rebels they were? No, of course not, you know that well. Rather, God himself came to them in the cool of the evening, He called out to them. He brought them to admit their guilt. I ate it. He pointed out to them that their sin had brought on them the curse. Eve would experience pain in childbirth. Because of Adam, the ground was cursed. Painful toil for food would fill their days. For thorns infested the ground. And finally, they would return to that ground. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return." Cursed. How serious sin is. But God also promised the one who was to come. The one who would rescue them from that curse. The one who would crush Satan. He promised our king, the Satan crusher. Speaking to Satan, the Lord says, in Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and hers. Yes, you, Satan, you have led my children away from me and made them your friends by deceiving them. But I am going to change them. I am going to bring them back to myself so that they once again become your enemies. I will put enmity between you and them. And how? How? How would the Lord God do that? Yes, by sending that one born of a woman, that one who would be the Satan crusher, destroying the power of Satan. For the Lord continues as he speaks to Satan and says, He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. What hope those words brought to Adam and Eve as they listened in. Yes, they had brought the curse down on themselves, but the Lord was going to send the one who would lift that curse, who would crush Satan's power. What hope filled their hearts as they longed for that coming one. Now they could anticipate and live in that expectancy that their champion the Satan crusher, their king was going to come, how they longed for that coming one, the coming one who would remove, who would set them free from the curse, who would rescue them from death, the coming one. And so also, dear friends, as we begin the church year with the Advent season, we too begin with that longing for the coming one, just as Adam and Eve who had been lost in their sin, so also we, from the depths of our sin, look to that coming one who will rescue us. Advent is that season of expectation, anticipation, and hope as we prepare for the one who is coming, the one who has come. So Advent is a season of preparation, A time when we prepare our hearts for the celebration of the birth of our King who comes. But how unworthy we are for this coming King. That's why we prepare during Advent. For like Adam and Eve, we too were rebels. How unfit we are for to receive such a royal guest. For sin... And its filth stains us inside and out. How? How can we prepare during the Advent season? How can we prepare to celebrate the birth of the One who has come? Only with God's Word and Scripture and the sacraments. That alone is how our hearts are prepared for through these the Holy Spirit comes to cleanse you and me. Our King comes to us through the Word in Scripture and the sacraments. And only the Word in Scripture and the sacraments, only that Word truly prepares us. Decorations and cookies and trees and presents, they don't prepare for Christmas. But God's Word, God's Word prepares our hearts to celebrate the birth of our King, to celebrate the One who has come Jesus Christ. And what a celebration Christmas is. For our King has come to us in flesh and blood, born in Bethlehem from the Virgin Mary. What a celebration Christmas is. For our King has come to rescue us from the curse of sin, to rescue us from death. He has come. Rejoice. And yet, Though he is a great king, he came in such lowliness. There was no crib for a bed, so he was laid in a manger where animals had lately fed. And yet that birth was heralded by the hosts of heaven, the angels themselves. Hark, the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king and what great good news of glad tidings for you and me Today in the town of David, a Savior is born for you. He is Christ the Lord. And so we reach that first high point in the church year, that Christmas celebration, that our King has come. What joy that fills us with. How great the joy. And so let us now celebrate that joy, that celebration of Christmas that Advent prepares us for. Let us sing Joy to the World, hymn 62, in celebration of the birth of our King, who has come to be the Satan Crusher and rescue us from the curse. We sing hymn 62. The twelve days of Christmas celebration, beginning on the eve of December 25th, continue until January 6th the festival of the Epiphany of our Lord. That's when we remember how the wise men, the magi from the East, came to worship our King. And that begins the season of Epiphany, a time of the year when we reflect on who this child is that was born at Christmas and who this man, and who that man whom the child grew up into, who he is. For Epiphany holds before us this child and this man and shows us his true nature. In Epiphany, we see our Savior baptized by John in the Jordan River. But watch what happens at that baptism. You see the dove coming down, the Holy Spirit in that form of a dove. You hear the voice of the Father saying, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. During Epiphany, watch as he turns water into wine. Look at how he heals the sick and and calms the storm. Yes, this man is much more than a man. He is our God. Our King is the eternal Son of the Father who has come to this earth. He is God in man, made manifest. Reflect on that during the Epiphany season. Reflect on how that child and man, born in a manger, is our God, God in flesh. And yet Epiphany not only holds before us the might of our God in the person of Jesus Christ, it also shows us Why He came to this earth? Why our God became man? For you see, in His miracles, we see not only His divine power, but also His mercy. Our King came to save. Epiphany shows this man, Jesus Christ, not only to be our God, but also to be our Savior. His miracles show us His mercy. And when we look again at His baptism... We see that He has come to step to our side and take our place, for as our God, He has no need for baptism. He has no sins to wash away. And yet He came to take our place and so was baptized, just as we need baptism, for He is your Savior, your substitute. And then also as we see those wise men coming to Jesus, we remember that they are Gentiles. For Jesus came to be the Savior for all people. Epiphany is a season of reflection as we reflect on what child this is. It is a season of reflection as Epiphany makes known to us that this child and man, that this Jesus from Nazareth is our God and our Savior. Let's sing now, hymn 67, what child is this, as we reflect on who Jesus is. Hymn 67 As Easter, or as as Epiphany comes to a close, we begin to enter the second part of the church year, part two, our King Conquers. Epiphany closes with the transfiguration of our Lord. He stands on that mountain with Peter, James, and John, and we catch a shadow of his divine glory shining through as his face glows like the sun and his clothes become dazzling white. Then that glory is hidden. He comes down from that mountain. We enter the season of Lent as we once again prepare our hearts in anticipation of the Easter celebration. You see, like Advent, Lent as well is a season of preparation. A season when we especially focus on the suffering of our Saviour, and so prepare our hearts for his coming conquering victory on Easter. Now as we see our our, our Saviour suffering, that leads us to reflect and to to, on, on the seriousness of our sins. We prepare our hearts as we see why our Savior is suffering, that it is our sins, yours and mine, that were laid on him. As the prophet Isaiah writes in chapter 53, surely he has borne our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him, and by His wounds we are healed. So as we see the cross and the nails, as we see the the strips of skin and the bloody thorns, as we hear the mocking and the scorn heaped upon Him, As we shiver at that cry from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And feel the dark coldness of those words. We too are led to confess, Ah, I also and my sin wrought your deep affliction. This indeed the cause has been of your crucifixion. And yet as great as our sin is, Our king's love is so much greater. For you see, all this, all this he suffered willingly as the sacrifice in our place. Yes, as a lamb going uncomplaining forth, our king willingly took all our sins on himself and sacrificed himself in our place. What great love moved him. Love that we in no way have deserved or merited. For remember, he did this for rebels. He did this while we were still in rebellion against him, godless sinners. He died for you and for me. What great love. His love bursts all bounds. For what earthly king would die such an ignoble death? to rescue his enemies. But that's what your king did for you. What wondrous love is this that caused the Lord of bliss to bear the dreadful curse for my soul, for my soul, to bear the dreadful curse for my soul. And so, during Lent, as we survey the wondrous cross on which the King of Glory died, we prepare our heart for the Easter celebration. We prepare our hearts as we see his great love that took our sins on himself. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, for thorns compose so rich a crown. And as our hearts, prepared by Lent, You are suffering Savior. We are ready then for the darkness of Good Friday to give way to the dawn of Easter Sunday when our Savior arose. Come to the tomb. Hear the angels say, He is not here. He has risen. Come see the place where they laid. Yes, dear Christians, Easter brings us that celebration that our King has conquered sin, Satan, and death. He has conquered and risen in victory. He has won that victory for you and for me. Then prepares our hearts for that Easter celebration so that our joy breaks forth with hymns of praise and glory to our risen King, our conquering King, who has won the victory. Where, O oh, death, is your sting? Where, O oh, grave, is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the uh, the, the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's join in that Easter celebration, in that victory of our conquering king as we sing together the next hymn, He's Risen, He's Risen, Hymn 143. But the Easter celebration is not just a one-day or one morning celebration, no, the Easter season continues for the seven Sundays of Easter, and towards the end of that season comes another great Easter celebration, the ascension of our Lord on the 40th day of Easter, as we see our conquering King now returning to His heavenly throne, ascending in glory, for He has completed the mission the Father sent Him on, He has completed set us free from the curse. He has rescued us from death. And So now we see Him ascend to His throne as our conquering King, our victorious King. So the Easter celebration continues through the ascension of our Lord and we also now continue our celebration by singing the next hymn, Hymn 174. See, the conqueror mounts in triumph. The Easter season, through the ascension of our Lord, comes to a close on Pentecost. And the Pentecost season, with the Sundays after Pentecost, issue in another time for us to reflect. A time to reflect on what the Easter victory of our conquering King means for our life here on this earth and hereafter forever in heaven. Pentecost begins with the good news of Jesus being proclaimed in Jerusalem as the Holy Spirit comes down on the disciples and they speak to the crowd. Peter preaches that this Jesus of Nazareth, whom the people crucified, is the one who was coming, the Messiah, the Christ, and God raised him from the dead. And we too. Or to take to heart those words Peter spoke to that crowd on that day when he says to them in Acts 2, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And so during this time of Pentecost and the Sundays afterwards, we reflect on how our conquering King, our Ascended Lord, has not left us here as orphans, but has poured out His Holy Spirit on us as well. Through His Word and sacraments, the Holy Spirit works in us so that as we reflect on our conquering King's Easter victory, we see how that changes our lives right now and changes our eternity as well. For through the Holy Spirit, working in word and sacraments, our conquering King leads us to live as His children, to live as citizens of His kingdom, saying no to sin, eager to do good, believing His promises. For the Holy Spirit has opened our eyes to see the mercy of our God, the mercy of our King, and how that changes the way we live. For our conquering king has set us free. You are no longer slaves to sin. He has put that enmity between you and Satan so that we no longer want to follow him as our friend. No, now we follow Christ, our conquering king. During Pentecost and the Sundays afterwards, we reflect on how we put that into practice in our lives. It takes us back to our baptism when we were united with Christ, so that as He died, so also sin died in us. And just as He was raised to life, that Easter victory, so also we have new life. The Apostle Paul wrote about that in Romans chapter 6. He writes about that new life we have, that what we are to think about as we reflect on the Easter victory. Our conquering King has won. He writes in Romans 6, We die to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer the parts of your body to Him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. As we reflect on the Easter victory of our conquering King, We live our lives for Him. We live our lives as living sacrifices in view of the mercy and grace He has shown us. And yet that is a a difficult life, is it not? On this earth, surrounded by the devil and the world and, and with our sinful flesh still in us, it is a constant struggle. But the Holy Spirit continues to work in you and me through the Word and sacraments as we reflect on the Easter victory of our Savior during Pentecost. He works in us. So that when Satan accuses us and we wonder how could God forgive someone like me, the Spirit Himself testifies in the Word. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans Romans 8, verse 1. And when we struggle with the adversities of life, when we, we feel so hemmed in that we don't know what even to pray anymore, the Holy Spirit continues to be at work as the Scriptures testify. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. Yes, as we reflect on that Easter victory during the Pentecost season, and if Satan tries to make us wonder whether we really are part of that victory, whether we really are children of God, the Holy Spirit, through the Scriptures again, brings His testimony into our hearts. As Paul writes in Romans 8, the Spirit, or... Uh, You did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering, in order that we may also share in his glory. And so as we reflect on Christ's victory of our conquering King, we not only see how that victory helps us each day of our life here on this earth, but as the Pentecost season draws to an end, we reflect also on what that means for our victory in heaven, on that glory that is waiting for us. For the Holy Spirit brings us to confess as well, along with the Apostle Paul, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Romans 8:18. 8, and so, during the end times of the Pentecost season, we anticipate the return of our conquering king in glory with his holy angels. We anticipate standing before His throne, the throne of the Lamb who was slain, but now who reigns forever and ever. We anticipate praising Him with all His holy angels and with all the believers, our fellow citizens who have gone before us and who will come after us from all ages and places. We anticipate the heavenly home, the new Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the golden We will stand before our conquering King, clothed with His righteousness, washed clean in His blood. We anticipate our new home, the unending Easter celebration, the wedding feast of the Lamb, our heavenly home, Jerusalem, the Golden. In that anticipation, let us now sing hymn 214, Jerusalem, the Golden. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, go now with the blessing of our great and glorious and gracious King upon you. As he reigns through the church year, with the seasons of preparation, celebration, and reflection, like a rhythm pulsating through the year, let it also pulsate through your hearts as he brings his blessing to you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you peace. Amen.